You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. We all know that the human body comes in all different shapes and sizes. However, most firearms do not. That is why Savage Arms has rolled out their AccuFit system on the 110 platform. AccuFit uses interchangeable components that allow hunters to custom fit both comb height and the length of pull without taking their rifle to a gunsmith. In fact, the only tool you need is a Phillips head screwdriver. If you want to find out more information about the AccuFit customization system, visit savagearms.com. Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we got another awesome episode on the docket today. We're going to be talking with Todd Snader from Bowtech, and he's going to break down their new lineup. He's going to talk about design and engineering. He's going to talk about how the customer is their end goal, right? All they want to do is make the customer happy and how the customer feedback translates into new designs and engineering and ultimately comes out with the new bow. And he talks a lot about how uh, customer feedback helped launch, or I shouldn't say launch, helped um, uh, with their input into the new solution line. So we talk about the solution. We talk about the solution SS, the SD, and some of the other bows that are coming out of the Bowtech camp this year. So it's a really good episode. Uh, lots of good detailed questions. And I, I feel like the detailed questions are very important. And that's why I ask them because uh, for the layman, and I'm going to put myself under that category, sometimes the details in archery can be a bit overwhelming. And uh, Todd does a really good job of uh, simplifying those for us uh, as well. So, uh, really good episode today. Before we get into the episode, we got to do a commercial, and that is with the average conservationist. Now, the average conservationist is in apparel line, right? They have T-shirts, they have hoodies, they have really cool hats, they have some really good logos, um, and it's just something that I enjoy wearing. It's, I guess that if I had a style, that would be my style: uh, T-shirts, hoodies, uh, hats. Uh, that's how I roll. But beyond that, they have they they give ten percent of all of their profits to conservation, making them a 2% for conservation certified company. All right. And I don't know if I just said 2%, but I meant 10%. They give 10% of all of their earnings to conservation. Um, And uh, it makes, you know, it makes uh, someone like me who that stuff like conservation is important to me. It, it makes that a really good decision when purchasing their, their apparel line. So if you want to find out more about their apparel line, visit the, uh, their website. And that is the average conservationist.com. Check out their hats, their hoodies, their t-shirts, and, um, also check out their podcast, which is also on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. So uh, check that out while you're here. And uh, now, without further ado, let's get on the phone with Todd Snader of Bowtech. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Todd Snader. Todd, how we doing, man? 
Great, great, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing good. Well, Todd, you're on the podcast today to talk about Bowtech, but before we get into all the meat and potatoes about Bowtech and the new lineup that's coming uh, out of your camp this year, why don't you uh, kind of tell us what uh, kind of season you had this year behind the bow? Oh, it was a great one. Um, you know, big big one for me is uh, it was uh, focused more on my my uh, my youngest son. He's uh, he's a football player, and with everything that's going on right now with COVID, uh, football uh, didn't happen. So he wasn't uh, he didn't have to go to football camp. So this was his uh, first opportunity to be able to hunt because it didn't it'd be able to bow hunt because it didn't conflict with uh, football camp. So I took him and I was able to uh, help him out and watch him kill his first mule deer here in uh, Eastern Oregon. Uh, Focus more on him. I've been, uh, especially him with his first year. So for me, that was uh, much more impactful, I think, than uh, myself hunting. Um, I didn't do a whole lot myself here in Oregon this this year. I went, I've done a couple trips in uh, in Missouri. Um, did, uh, had some opportunities out there, but a little bit quieter season for me, but, uh, I, I, again, I really uh, focused a lot of my efforts on helping my son out get his first year with this top out, this opportunity, at least get it, at least take advantage of something good from COVID. Oh man, I, that's awesome. And yep. that's something, that's probably a memory that's going to kind of stick in your head for the rest of your life. It is, it is. I was both with, that was my youngest son. I was with my oldest son when he got his first as well. And it was a mule deer in Eastern Oregon as, uh, as well. So it's nice to be able to see them both happen um, in, in, you know, Eastern Oregon's a little bit uh, more blind type hunting with the, with mule deer because there's, you know, not really tree sand hunting. So I was right there in the blind with them. I uh, was able to see it connect, track them, find them. And it was, uh, it, it's great. It's a great opportunity. That's awesome. I'm, uh, I'd be lying if I said I'm not excited about getting my daughter um, out this spring for turkey hunting. She's finally going to be old enough to where I think she's going to be able to be mobile through the woods with me and mm-hmm. n- maybe not keep up to my pace, but I'll be able to slow down for hers. And just really the only thing I want out of this is for her to hear a gobble really close and maybe even yeah. see a strut and Tom, you know what I mean? Something that's going to hopefully have an impact on her and say, Hey, I want to do this again. And if the opportunity percent presents itself, she'll be sitting in between my legs, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when I've pulled the trigger on the, the 20 gauge. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that's a great one to start. I mean, I, I get pretty passionate about, uh, gobblers myself and then when you can turn a youth onto it that way that's 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 definitely going to be something that gets her hooked so yeah yeah all right so let's talk a little bit about what your position in uh, Botech is yeah I'm the uh, the brand manager here uh, I've been with Botech wow 17 years I'm in my 17th year here I uh, I was with the company actually from Ohio moved here to uh, to work for Botech prior to that I shot uh, on our on our pro staff since the beginning of the company in 1999. So I guess uh, overall, I've been here quite a bit longer than that. But actually, physically employed with the company, I've been uh, been with seven uh, been with them 17 years. Started out when I came over here, moved out here, moved my family out uh, as the the pro staff coordinator, as well as the the customer service agent. And I say the customer service agent because at that time we were fairly smaller company, somewhat smaller, and we had one customer service agent. So I guess I was the service manager slash uh, uh, customer service agent, as well as the pro staff uh, manager. Uh, Shortly after that, I took over 
a couple or a sales position. Um, I managed Kentucky, Ohio, and South Africa. So that was a <laughs> that's pretty. A, that's a strange combination. It is. It is a pretty varying, um, var- varying territory. You know, fortunately, well, I shouldn't say fortunately. Uh, you know, I w- would have loved to been able to travel to South Africa once, but it, it just never made it happen out there. But, uh, um. And I was that for a couple of years, and then I transitioned because of my knowledge in our previous products from the start of the company, shooting for our, for our staff and working on the bows. I worked at, deal, at a dealer when I lived in Ohio. Um, our current service manager moved at the time moved up into the uh, R and D department. So at that point, I was offered the position of the warranty and service manager and ran that for several years. Um, again, just because of my knowledge of the previous product, and then. Uh, most recently, I've been I've been in market the marketing department for my fifth year now. But uh, I also ran our our university program. We did a, a what we call Bowtech University that we traveled around and did a uh, uh, regional universities around the country, most East Coast where our, our primary uh, saturation of dealers are. But I was I trained our dealers on uh, technical aspects of the bow, how to work on them, how to set them up, how to tune the cool little nuances of, of what you know how well a boat tech tunes, how quick they can tune them. I mean, just generally, and they sent a lot of uh, new employees there so I could just train them on general archery work as well. So then the market director of marketing stole me shortly after that because of my work in the, in the service in the, in the university. And I took on the brand management role for boat tech and uh, that's been uh, several years now. So I think awesome. fifth year. Awesome. That's awesome, man. Uh, I, I like the fact that you said you've been with a company as long as you've had tells me um, that you have some knowledge of the product and how how compound bows work because and I think uh, I mentioned this to you in one of our initial um, interactions or maybe with Skylar, but I was like, all right. I don't care who I talk to as long as it's not the marketing guy, because every time, every time I talk to a marketing guy, he gives me marketing answers and I don't want marketing answers. So, um, I, and then you kind of walk me off the ledge, right. And you're like, yeah, "Yeah, I, I know, I know things about bows. Okay. Just chill. (laughs) And I still get to this day. I have a, there's a core of, of close dealers that regardless of I managed the department and I had a customer service team working for me, they always asked for me personally. That's awesome. And I still get those dealers, you know, I've been in marketing for five years and I still get dealers calling me in the marketing department asking more, you know, service questions, little, you know, how to tune the bows, which is, which is awesome. It, you know, it's, it goes a long way knowing I've got a good relationship with those guys from that standpoint as well. Yeah. Um, and then I can, you know, I can, I can, talk the marketing side as well for consumers and, and things like that. But I like the technical side too. That's a lot of fun. Sometimes I can go too technical and I'm very guilty of that. But uh, I think for that, for a certain, uh, you know, certain listeners that love that stuff, I mean, that's uh, a geek out on that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of guys do, man. All right. So I have to ask you a question. This has nothing to do with Bowtech and more of a general archery question, but let's say there's two stories that are told by a hunter. One story is it almost sounds the exact same um, as uh, the uh, as Hunter. Let's say Hunter A and Hunter B. They both tell a very similar story, but one of those hunters kills their animal with a gun, and the other hunter kills their animal with a bow. What is it about the bow itself that makes that story so much cooler? You know, you know, and I, you know, I'm. I'm you know, an avid hunter myself when I do both. Um, 
personally, but there's something about bow hunting. I started out as a gun hunter when I lived in Ohio, and you know, they, they didn't have rifle. You could shotgun or muzzleloader hunt. But, uh, you know, it, it's the it takes a little bit more to be proficient. So, you know, pers- for across the board, I don't care who what Archer says, it does take time to be proficient. But to be able to get in there, get closer personally for me is to be able to get up make those shots a lot closer and i'm not taking any way from from a rifle hunter whatsoever so i don't want anybody to to be offended by that but you know because it takes some practice to make that shot at, right. at, with the rifle as well but there's still that you you add that extra level of human factor into a vertical bow and you know in, into the archery be it traditional be it compound bow you have to do a lot of practice one to be very very ethical with the game that we owe that to all the game we hunt to be able to make the best shot possible to be able to to, so they don't suffer. And I, th- I think every single uh, uh, archer out there, every single hunter out there agrees with that. At least I hope they agree with that. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's it's to be able to get up, see that animal close, be able to hear them breathing, especially out here as, a, as an elk hunter. I mean, you get a, a, a bull bugling at you six yards, that will get the blood <laughs> rushing. I mean, it'll get that flowing. Not that a rifle hunter does, but when you can see the steam, oh, you know, yeah. we've had we've had uh, bull bulls walk by us that you could almost just reach out and touch it with the top can of cam of your bow. You're not going to get that with a rifle. No. Um, but uh, again, not taking anything away from rifle hunters because I love sending some rounds downrange. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, man. My wife has a whole, you know these little wine parties at her house and all of her friends come over and they taste wines and whatever. And, and they look at my deer mounts and they say, Oh man, you know, like, did you, you know, did you shoot those with a gun? And I, I, I say, no, I shot them all with a bow and they, this reaction on their face, like that is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. You know, someone who's a a non hunter and you tell them a story, like they just assume everybody uses a gun. But the fact that I used a bow for those, it just, I don't know. I pound my chest a little bit (laughs) when I tell those stories. For those that aren't in the know generally that somebody like that at the wine party, they, they, when they think archery, they automatically think a a stick and a string, you know, old school archery, then, you know, it's come a long way. It's still that, it's still that, that you still take that level of practice there as well. But, uh, you know, it's not necessarily stick and string, um, but still, still a lot of practice to make it happen. And I, and I enjoy it. You know, that's, uh, you know, my, my sons have shot since they were five. I actually started in target archery, then moved into hunting because, because I enjoyed archery so much. And my sons have shot since they were five years old. And they, I mean, when we say hunting, they think archery. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. All right, so uh, kind of another general question for you is, and we're going to get into more details, and I don't know if this is necessarily the, the best place to answer ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um the 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 bow market is very competitive these days and every year like i i uh was it like four days ago i just went to the uh, local uh, sporting goods store and i shot a matthews i shot a hoyt i shot a bowtech and i shot a prime and these bows that 10 15 years ago right there there may be some differences that really stood out but now today um, these, these bows are all so similar. I mean, mm-hmm. from, from feel to fit, to function, to all that stuff. What is it about the, the market that really has shrunk the, I guess the differences or the subtleties between each bow? Well, a lot of it is just, is, is cons- that what consumer feedback as far as what they want and forever, 
I'm going to I'm going to raise my hand. You can't see me, but uh, we were guilty as a company. I should say guilty, but when we started back in 1999, it was all speed. That's back when your big overdraws came into yep. the scene, where you're you know cutting your arrows super short. Everybody wanted speed, speed, speed. So you saw everybody went after that speed mark, and we were the first to come out with, with the Black Knight. We hit that 350 mark. But as as the the industry has changed. I shouldn't say change, but you see it go back and forth every few years, smooth to fast, to smooth to fast. But now consumers are getting smarter as they're seeing new bows, which is awesome because they went the ultimate archery experience. And I say that because they're starting to see that bows in general. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give props to all the manufacturers out there because I don't honestly, there isn't a bad bow out there, you know, and, yeah. you know, I'm the, I'm the brand manager for Bowtech and I'm good. I'm going to go on record. I've said it before in, in a lot of our uh, a lot of our, our live events as well. There's not a bad bow out there, but it makes you know makes us strive to be better as a bow manufacturer as well. But right now, it's consumers want a smooth bow that also produces a lot of speed, and there's a fine line there because generally, to get a lot of speed, you're going to get a bow that draws bad. It's going to have a lot of vibration, so that's where a lot of consumers really got to. They go in, you got to feel the personal fit. You know, it goes, you know, your draw is great. It produces great speed, but sometimes, you know, the grip maybe feel a little bit different. So there's those little personalized nuances um, that, you know, they can kind of start separating it. But all the bow manufacturers do a really good job um, kind of uh, just really responding to what consumers have seen and, and or, or shared with us shared yeah. with, uh, as, as an industry whole. So. Right. So you mentioned that, you know, right now consumers want this smooth, you know, the smooth mm-hmm. draw, the smoothness of the shot and everything. So how does Bowtech take a customer feedback, right, mm-hmm. and apply it to the, the next model that comes out? Right. Well, and, and that biggest thing with us is we do a lot of, uh, from, you know, I'm going to throw a little, a little bit of marketing in there too. We engage a lot of our, our consumers through our email campaigns and things like that, but we're very big on personalized asking them questions, not just feeding out like a general, general marketing email. Hey, check out the newest bow. We ask them questions and we invite them to tell us what they like, what they don't like. Um, and that's not just that's not just our competitor bows about ours. Hey, what do you like about your current bow? What do you like about what don't you like about your current bow? And honestly, consumers have told us smooth. This has been across the board. And obviously, other manufacturers sharing that too. But its speed is up there as well. So that's that we really take that to heart because we we can produce bows all day long that we like. Um, but we're selling bows to consumers and that's why if we didn't have our consumers giving us that feedback, we'll just put something out and they may not like it, you know, I guess to put it in the simplest terms. So, um, they've got to want it. They've got to tell us what they want and they do a great job of it. And, and I see it across the industry whole. It's just a matter of, of who responds to it. Right. So do you have a specific example and maybe mm-hmm. you can even use the solution, the new solution sure. series that came out of customer feedback that led to a change or an upgrade or yep. something for this new solution line? Yeah, that's a perfect example. So our deadlock technology, we, we introduced three years ago in the reckoning, bow, which is kind of a crossover 3D, 3D, bow, 3D bow, longer axle to axle style bow. And um, d- consumers loved it. They started seeing the benefits of the ease of the tunability. So we launched it on our first two new hunting bows last year, the Revolt and the Revolt X. Um, 
great success with those. But in the back of consumers' minds, and one of the most popular boats previous to that was the um, the Realm SR6. Because of the smooth draw, because of the fast speeds, it was actually an industry award-winning bow for us because of that. But now consumers wanted the Realm SR6, and with the tunability, the ease of tunability, um, with with that speed, that comfort, um, all in one. So I talked about that ultimate experience. They wanted everything in one. So that's where the solution came in. But we took it to two different levels. So you have your solution, which incorporates the fast and the smooth. So you get the best of both, but also the solution SS. So that's just a flat, smooth bow from every point of the spectrum. So round cam, um, it just looks smooth. And it still produces decent speed. So it's right in that 332 mark. It's not as fast as the solution, but it's for the tree stand hunter hunts in cold. They're not super concerned about speeds. They they're taking those 18 yard and in shots potentially not to say that they can't go further, but they just want something that's going to be super, super smooth. So those are the two biggest things, but we added the solution SD because that's kind of that niche bow. It's that short, the SD is for short draw because we always say, you know, as a short draw archer, and I, I'm going to throw myself in there because I'm 27 and a half, so I'm on the upper end of the spectrum for, for short draw. But we would always have to take a longer draw bow or an average draw bow. And as a manufacturer, bows are always optima optimized at the, the 28 and 20 to 29 inch range because that's where your average archer is uh, draw length is. So as you shorten up the draw length, you lose a little performance, a little efficiency because you're not getting the full rotation of the cams. So that's where we introduce the solution SD because you're at your upper end, your 26, 26 and a half, 27, 27 and a half are gonna be the upper end of that cam range. They get that full rotation, they get that performance, but also they get the smooth draw and the deadlock in there. So we really say it's, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to compromise the performance by, getting a bigger bow and turning it down. The cool thing about that is a lot of ladies are seeing that too, because they don't want to shoot a, a men's, traditionally would be a men's dedicated bow. Um, and we have that in the EVA and the Solution SD. So a lot of that, I should say a lot of it, all of it was direct consumer feedback over the last year when we re launched the Revolt, the Revolt X through our social media. They love it. They said, I, you know, I just wish we had this. It might fit me a little bit better. I want a little more performance. That, and that's what we put on our roadmap, and that's what we come out with. Okay. And we're doing the same thing when we go to 2022. Okay. Um, elaborate a little bit on sure. this deadlock technology that's mm -hmm. on your bows. Sure. Well, deadlock technology is, to simply put, it's the ability to, to move your string left and right and get get that directly behind the arrow. So forever, I mean, uh, up until deadlock, the only way to tune your, other than shimming your cams, the only way to tune your bow is to move your arrow rest left and right. So if you're paper tuner, if you're a bare shaft tuner, you move that to compensate for where what your bullet, you know, your your bullet hole is showing you. I equate that to uh, a car alignment. So back in the day, before mo most modern cars, you only could do a front end alignment. So the back end was forced to follow wherever your front end was going. To put it in simple terms. Um, it wasn't optimized. You're, you're still going to get the tire wear. Thus, manu boat or car manufacturers came out with four wheel alignments. Now you're taking that back end, aligning it perfectly with the front end, and you get your optimized uh, uh, path for a car. So that's what deadlock does as well. So what 
to to equate it back to the car is you're taking your your arrow rest centering it up through this through the true center of the riser so it would be called center shot you measure from the front of the riser to the arrow the back of the riser to the arrow and you square that up to the riser now when every one of us as an archer holds a bow a little differently we torque it a little bit um, so it's going to affect what that back end of the car does let's say for an example so what deadlock does it gives you the ability to adjust that back in so you're optimizing the string path so it's now directly back in line to your personalized hand position so it's putting that string directly behind the arrow so it gives you that greater ability to fine tune i always say you know tuning your rest is exactly that you're tuning your rest deadlock you're tuning your bow you're aligning your bow is, is the best way to put it when i explain it to everybody and they get that aha moment because sometimes it's a little difficult for people to, to kind of think about what what am i actually doing when i'm adjusting that string and it's that aligning your string to you aligning it to the bow and you're actually tuning the bow not tuning your arrow rest okay so i'm going to play devil's advocate here for sure. a second and, sure. I, and i know that um you just explained it right mm -hmm. like everybody has different form Everybody may twerk their bow just a little different, but why do you need that de deadlock technology if you can just build your cam system dead center of the riser anyway? Sure, and you can you can build it dead center, but what happens is you get string whip. You get and when you build it dead center of the riser, that's dead center static. So if you weren't drawing the bow, if you put it on a hooter shooter machine, I'm sure everybody's pretty familiar with those out there. A machine that draws it, yes, it's going to be dead center, and it's going to track back generally. And I can I can talk a little bit, a little technical for you on the on the cable guides too here. But you put a human hand into the bow, and you add that torque a little bit. Those cams aren't any longer. Your string is no longer in the center. It's going to be off to the right, depending if you if you torque it to the right, and you draw the bow, your string's going to be off to the right. Same thing with left. Now you're you're torquing it to the left, and as you fire, the string's going to go back to the right to try to get back to your point on that center point. So if your cams are centered in the riser, that string is going to try to get back there if you're torquing the bow. Now what we do with deadlock is you torque the bow. If you're torquing the bow, you're already adjusting that left and right to get that back on center from the start. Um, so that in that that way, it's it's not trying to get back to center when you fire the bow. It's starting from center and finishing from center, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And then that also allows you to, um, like you said earlier, just really, I guess, have the, the guy or the gal who's shooting it really tune it to their personal preference. It's it. And it's exactly what is okay. it, what it is, is tuning it to you. Cause everybody's different. I, like I said, I could shoot the bow, out of the box potentially and it let's say it shoots bullet holes and i put it in your hand dan and you might shoot left or right and i and we already know let's say i i'll take it back up a little bit. i'll take it out of the box center up the rest i'll shoot a bullet hole i'll hand it to you and it may shoot a left tear a right tear i'm not going to mess with the rest because i already know that square to the riser i'm just going to move that string a little bit to compensate for your torque it's going to put that right back in alignment again and you're going to get that bullet hole again okay any advice to let's say someone who has or is looking at getting a bow with the deadlock technology on it because here's here's a problem that i've had in the past mm -hmm. where and it's not necessarily about tuning the bow but it could be uh, another piece of equipment or something around the house that has adjustability like this but then i go down the adjustability rabbit hole and you you start 
doing one thing and then you get confused and you, you try to do yep. something else. Uh, how do you educate people on how to properly use this thing? Well, you know, the biggest thing, first of all, I, you know, I love telling consumers about the benefit to tune the bow, but out of the gate, don't get me wrong. There's nothing that replaces your, your Bowtech dealer because they, they work on those day in and day out. And a lot of times they'll find that a consumer will, will, if they're trying to tune things themselves, they get it so jacked up that they have to redo it. The nice thing about deadlock is it has, if you mess around with it and you're not comfortable with where you've adjusted to that and as a consumer, um, again, I'm just going to say, hey, take it to your dealer. But if you're that guy or that gal that tunes your own stuff, and we all know, you know, everybody likes to do that, he has the ability to you just recenter it. So you can bottom it out all the way left or bottom them out all the way right and just back them, you know, uh, back them back out full revolutions and center them back up equally and have a starting point again. And there's actually a uh, um, on the axles themselves, there are some ribs on there. So you have a good visual indicator too, of where they're at. So there's always ability to reset to zero. If you get too far, cause sometimes consumers may, the biggest thing I see with deadlock is consumers will adjust one cam more than the other, instead of adjusting it in equal increments. Um, and I think that's where they see the most of the time they screw it up. Um, and then it needs to be reset to zero. So that's why I always recommend first get it to your local dealer because they're well educated in our product. But if you're that guy or gal, that's how you do it. You reset them and start back at zero. Yeah. All right. So I have to I have to uh, ask you a question that kind of relates to a pet peeve of mine, sure. and it is. Uh, all bow manufacturers in some way, shape or form, I, I feel do this. And I, I've, I guess when you notice it, it starts to stick out more and more. And I hear these terms like revolutionary new cam mm -hmm. design and, and, mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, technical big buzzwords around cam design. Um, what, talk to me a little bit about Bowtex cams and how they work with the rest of the bow to make a smooth draw for the solution and how they, you know, how they work and how your designers go about designing them to meet the goal of the end result bow. Sure. Sure. And a lot of them works, works in conjunction with each other because you have times where you, you see different configurations on the bow, you know, going outside of the cam itself, looking at other like cable guards and cable rollers, how it's, uh, how it loads up cable tension because that can drastic drastically affect how a bow feels on the draw if it's pulling to one side if it's um you know on the shot is a big thing because when we say smooth draw you know it's it's more than smooth draw it's smooth draw and also smooth on the shot because it can't vibrate you don't want it to have a super super smooth and when you fire it's going to rattle your bones rattle your your elbow um so there's a lot of components you know Cam, cam is the biggest thing. Um, you look at, you know, limb configuration as well. Um, that that pro, uh, basically, you know, um, parallel limbs make a, 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 was losing my term there for a second. So parallel limbs make a big difference as well because you're not yeah. needing to load up the limbs as far, flex the limbs as far. Um, but there's a lot of abilities, you know, our engineers are smart guys. They start looking at rounder shapes of the cams. And then you look at the internal hubs to be able to balance those out. Now, years ago, you saw a lot of things with perimeter weighting to help things like that. You know, there's some, there's some patents out there on perimeter weighting, but there's a lot of other things you can do with, with actual cam shape and size, still get the speed. Um, but a lot of it is just the comfort in the bow as 
to enhance the, the draw as well. You see a little bit wider risers, and that's why you, you're seeing a trend going that way. We have a wider riser at the pocket, so it's a little more stable, a little more comfortable when you hold the bow. Um, competitors, I'll throw Matthews out there as well. They have a little wider riser. Elite has a little wider riser because they know it's about the stability while you're also holding it that adds to the level, the cam design itself to make it a smoother draw. Okay. Uh, now I'm, I'm looking here at the riser mm-hmm. and I, you know, everybody has a, a different uh, riser design. I mean, almost you, you could peel the label off and ask someone, what is this? And they could tell you the brand almost. How much of riser design is aesthetics and how much is it actual design and engineering? It's quite a bit. I mean, they look at design first. Um, aesthetic is just is just the lipstick at, at the end because it's got to look good. And then also the aesthetics play into the overall weight. So you can do strategically placed cutouts. Um, a lot of it is for stability, flex in the riser as well. But there's specific things if you look at our risers, for example. So we... Back in 2005, we came out with the Guardian, which was called the CPX riser, which is basically center pivot design, which a typical riser, our, our competitors out there have a pivot of the limb where the limb flexes, and it would be the first point of contact on the riser, that more of the limb flexes. So it's only about the first three quarters of the limb. With our center pivot riser design, the whole limb flex because, and then was more efficient. You didn't lose efficiency and vibration. A good example is... If you take an arrow, and I, this is a good visual example of somebody's listening, you can go do this. So take a, a riser or an arrow, lay it on the end of, edge of a table, and let it hang off half the limb, let's say 24 inches, and bounce it like a, a, a diving board. It's going to sit there and vibrate for a little bit. So slide that riser in, or I keep saying riser, slide that arrow into the edge of the table so there's about 12 inches of arrow hanging over and do it again. It's going to be significantly less vibration. So that vibra- any vibration in a bow eliminates energy going into an arrow. So if you look at our, our current style risers, it still utilizes a lot of that uh, center pivot riser design. Now, when you first look at it, you say, well, the, the pivot isn't in the middle of the limb. It actually is in the middle of the area that flexes. So you're still storing all that energy in the, in the, the, the energy area. Uh, energy area of the limb so you're still getting that efficiency of the, of the of that style limb design without going to a typical limb so you know then you get into risers width it's like uh, stability so let's say you do a teeter board on a single point and make a t left and right it'll teeter but now you take a u-shape lay that same horizontal line on top of a u-shape let's say now you get that stability in the limb so you get less limb twisting which eliminates cam lean, and that's going to help your accuracy and the feel on the shot, overall comfort of the bow. Okay. All right. So when when your engineering team and the marketing team and everybody from Bowtech, you know, they, they sit around the circle and they say, what's next? All right. What, what, are, what are the things that we can do to make an even better bow? And um, so what do those conversations look like? And what are some of the results that come out of those meetings? Well, and that's the, you know, we start early too. I mean, we, we launched all of our, our first round of, uh, of flagships with the SD and the EVA in November and our, our final flagships, the Solution and the Solution SS here in January. But we were already working on 2022 previous to that. And we have a roadmap out a couple of years knowing, hey, this is kind of what we are introduced, knowing 
the consumer cycle. So we have a lot of historical data knowing you kind of get that cyclical up and down. And you also take a look at what the competitors are are building as well. And I know every every bow manufacturer that, that would come on this podcast will say the same thing. You look what your co- competitors introduce, you look at the popularity in market, say, hey, they've got a smooth bow. Let's start looking at implementing that into the next year. But it goes a, a beyond that too. We're, we look at new materials in a certain price point to be able to get separation there. Consumers ask for certain things. They they like this year's bow, but man, when we watch for those again, like I mentioned a little bit ago, we watch for, it's not, we don't have to hear it a hundred times on social media. We'll, we'll hear it a few times, you know, X, X consumer really, really likes that bow you came out with a couple of years ago, but I wish it had this feature on it. And you hear it a few times. Big thing for us too is sales feedback because they're a direct link to our dealers who are direct link to our consumers as well. Um, we bring that in and you made a great point is we have a team in here, what we call our internal development team, which consists of our sales uh, sales team members. Um, it's usually our, our, our VP of sales who gets reports rolled up. It's the VP of marketing and product development. Um, and also myself and our director of marketing and our key operations folks as well. So we're always bouncing off. It's a collaboration. Um, what works well, what designs well, um, what the consumer market is telling us. And that that's, we get ahead of that because, you know, we're, hey, we want to, everybody's asking for a speedboat this year, but hey, let's make a speedboat next year on somebody who wants lighter. Okay, we've got ideas for a speedboat, but making it lighter. So Gotcha. Things like that. Okay. So without letting too much out. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. All right. So um, when it comes to the the bow itself, the end result, right? And a guy goes, okay, well, I've I've shot all these bows. Are there accessories like rests or mm-hmm. sights that work the best? Like I'm not saying a you know not a specific brand per se, but you know we talk about efficiency. Sure right? Heavier arrows, you know, that'll dampen the, the hand shock or, or make a bow more efficient. Um, what about rests and, and sights? Yeah. Rests, there's so many variations in there, you know, and then there's a lot of good, you know, good companies out there. It's just like bows. So, um, when you're looking at, at rest, everybody's looking, it goes back to tunability, just like a bow. They want something easy to tune. It's hassle-free. Durability is the biggest thing. Sights and rests are a little different. I mean, rests are basically go straight for tunability, go for durability, just no hassle. They want to make sure it it works when it's designed to and it doesn't break down. Sights, you get into a little bit more unique personalization based on usage. And I say that because your tree stand hunter might prefer a movable single pin sight um, because they have more time to move, adjust their sight for different yardages for where somebody like out here out west is a run and gun hunter spot and stock shoot, shoots a multiple pin potentially that they, because they don't have time to uh, to adjust their dial sight for yeah. that one pin so that's kind of a more personalized thing but there's all kinds of other features that go into those as well the rest are a little different um, you'll see a lot of commonality in rest now um, for the style, limb-driven rests are super, super huge now because how easy they are to use, how easy they're tuned to tune, how and how how uh, hassle-free they are. But now you got to look at is are they going to last? Um, 
you know, I'm always going to refer back to, we own some sister brands as well too, but, you know, without mentioning specific brands, like we talked about, that's kind of the trend going that way, but sites is a little deeper pool and you'll see a lot of different materials, price points, but most of them is, is really good. Look at intended usage. Um, me personally, I like, um, I usually run, I like a five pin site out here, but sometimes that's too many pins for me, uh, obstructs my uh, site picture a little bit. So I'll run a little less, uh, I'll run three pins and still use my mover pin, um, use my dial and you set my third pin for longer distances and be able to move that knowing I got a 10 uh, or 20, 30, 40 and I can dial my 40 longer distances if I need to. And that's just kind of my personal preference because I like seeing more of the, the animal I'm aiming at. Yeah. All right. So, um, when it comes to, uh, the, I guess, uh, Bowtech, there's a guy out there, right? He, he's going in and he's maybe it's time to start thinking about what bow he wants to pick up mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the next season. Why should a, a bow hunter or just someone who even, even target archery, um, why should they consider a Bowtech? You know, and I always say, go in with an open mind. And a lot of people have said, I, well, I've shared a lot of people is go in and try them all. Um, one, I'm, I want people to be involved in our sport is the biggest thing. I don't want somebody to go get turned off, go in, grab the wrong bow, go in listening to the marketing hype. Like, you know, as we talked about, go in and try the bow. That's, that's the biggest thing. Get it in your hands. Um, it's got to feel good is, is the first thing it, it's, you know, you can't, always, what's good for your buddy isn't necessarily good for you. So you got to kind of kick, it's the same thing as golf and you can't always take somebody's golf and advice. And I, you you know, if, you know, if you're a golfer, but you never want to listen to your buddy, but go in and try the bows and talk to your dealer, especially if you go into a local bow tech dealer. We talked about the solution, the ease of adjustability, the ease of tunability. And I'm talking from a consumer as from a consumer standpoint, I'm talking about eliminating frustrations not going back into your dealer to get it retuned. And myself, I'm looking at it from a consumer standpoint. I don't want to go back to a dealer to have my bow retuned all the time. I want to go back to my dealer to shoot if he's got an archery range. I want to go back to my dealer to buy buy uh, deer attractants. I want to go you know, buy arrows because I'm busting arrows out there on the archery range. You know? And I, ask the dealer. When you go into your Bowtech dealer, ask them. Say, hey, you know, Bowtech says this in their marketing. I'm going to go back to marketing a little bit and say, hey, Bowtech says this, Mr. Dealer. Is this true? A Bowtech dealer is going to agree with you. Hey, you're going to have, you're going to be happier as a Bowtech shooter because less frustrations. You're not getting your bow retuned. More time in the field. And I think, Dan, you can agree anytime we get more time in the field, that's a win situation all the way around. Um, it's again, it's just making archers happier. Ask your dealer, you know, guys that are guys and gals that are listening, um, go in and go in. And again, with an open mind, I always say, shoot the bows head to head, try every bow out there, uh, and ask your dealer. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Um, now when it comes to like the future, mm-hmm. right. Uh, and you could, I want you to answer this from a, uh, from a Bowtech side of things, but I also want you to uh, answer it from a uh, a market uh, type of place as well. Mm-hmm. Where do you see archery going in the next? Like right now, like we talked about, it's on the smoothness, right? They mm-hmm. they want smoothness and they want speed, right? They want the total package. Where do you see um, uh, the the bows going 
in the next five years? I mean, are we talking brand new crazy materials? Are we talking, you know, some of the same, same type of things or uh, better engineering, or is there going to be a breakthrough? Those kind of things. Sure. And I think you're, you're going to see the same type of ultimate archery experience, the speed, the smooth. And I think you hit it on the head too, is materials. And I think it's taking those and evolving those technologies, making them a little simpler. Um, you know, anytime you come out with a bow, the first, you know, first year bow, obviously you're going to, you're going to refine the, the technology, refine the risers, refine the cams over the next few years to, to dial them in, uh, make it them, make them a little bit better. The cool thing coming out with COVID if you're going to have anything coming from COVID is the increase in participation in archery, which is awesome. Absolutely. Um, and I think you're going to get more, we're, we're going to see a lot more in the high, I should say, we're going to see as much in the high end market from a market standpoint, but I'm already seeing it. We're already seeing it is there's much more emphasis now on that mid price point bow to the entry price point bow because there's a lot of people coming into the archery that don't necessarily want to hunt they want to participate um, youth are having the opportunities because they're doing stay-at-home schooling that archery is used as physical education credits so and once they do that adults are saying hey man this archery is pretty fun my kids love it it's something we can do together and connect so I think as an industry as a whole, we're going to see more, I'm going to put it out there, we're doing it too. You know, we're going to put a lot of emphasis too on that mid price point, something in an affordability range that gets them started that, it, that as they see, okay, yeah, maybe I want to start hunting and I start seeing the benefits of the higher end bows. Now the mid price point may not have all the bells and whistles like deadlock technology um, to go shoot in the backyard. But as they start seeing, I don't want to go try hunting. Then they talk to the, they start seeing things like deadlock technology or carbon materials. And they start seeing the benefits there and they'll, they'll start upgrading over the next few years. But going back, I think you'll see a, a big trend of, of that mid to low price point to get more people in, into the, into the backyard shooting some arrows downrange. Gotcha. Uh, at the same time, are you, I mean, is that going to be parallel with continuing the same trend of putting out these new higher end bows oh, as absolutely. well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not introducing the latest, greatest. And I, when we started out, I talked about how many, all the manufacturers out there are awesome. It keeps us on top of our, you know, on top of our game, on our toes, because they're coming out with the latest and greatest. You don't come out the latest and greatest, you're going to fall behind, um, and that's why, you know, I'm going to hit it again. I don't sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but it's consumers need to tell us what they want. And we we're listening, and that's why we ask, um, and that's why we're not about creating bells and whistles. It's got to have a direct benefit. Um, yeah. You can put lipstick on a pig all day long; it's not going to go help you kill more deer. Yeah. All right, let me ask you uh, one more question here. Um, axle to axle, okay? Mm -hmm. Some people like short draw, uh, short axle to axle. Some people like, um, you know, a longer, you know, I've shot 30s, I've shot 33s yep. um, and, and whatnot. But my question is, is there a big difference for the average Joe out there? You know, let's, let's say their bow shop has a 30, and they have a 30, a 33, or they, mm -hmm. they, maybe they've always shot a 33, but now they only have a 30 available. And that's what they decide to go with is, is axle to axle like a big thing? Is it important? Yeah, there's a couple levels there. I mean, one is similar to what we talk about the sizes intended use. 
to where something shorter to axle to axle may be a little more maneuverable in a, in a tree stand or in a blind where your you know space is kind of is limited but you look at it from a personal perspective of an archer shooting it uh, when you say average you know, i would say somebody that's been shooting for several years and then has decent form um that uh, you know is pretty much doing the same thing shot after shot they have pretty pretty decent repeatability in their form you're 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 going to you're going to be able to get away better with a, a 30 inch axle axle and i say that similar to kind of like a uh, or I, I make i mention it similar to something like a uh, a balance or a tightrope walker a tightrope walker they use the longer bar to help balance them out and you see a longer bar slows down that movement and it's the same in that granted that's horizontally same thing holds true vertically. It can twist in your hand a little bit. It's a little less stable balance wise, but if you have really, really good form, um, that's not necessarily gonna be an issue. Now, if you're a little a little newer archer, and I shouldn't say super new, but uh, you've you know, been hunting for a little bit, you want something that's a little more forgiving. It's gonna be a little longer to axle to axle. It's gonna be a little more forgiving for you because again, it's like that tightrope walker. It's gonna slow your movement, kind of like a plumb bob as well as a good example to use um, that, that sway back and forth. Now, when you start looking at short axle to axles and tall axle to axles as well, there's a direct correlation generally with speed in a bow. Um, when you get a short axle to axle, generally there's a little taller brace height, so you're getting a little less speed out of a bow, let's say a seven inch brace height. When you go axle to axle that's longer, generally the limbs are a little more vertical to get that longer axle to axle, which will shorten up the brace height and gener generally uh, get you a little more speed out of it as well. So what you get in a, maybe a trade-off in, in short, you can pick up in speed as well. So your Midwest hunter may want a, a longer axle to axle bow, knowing they're going to get a little more speed out of it, a little more balanced, the long, longer shots, a little more stable, a little flatter shooting as well. Okay, cool. Um, anything else that uh, is new or exciting or that uh, we need to know coming out of the bow tech camp? Yeah, we're, you know, we're excited to get the bows out there. You know, we launched our two new solutions this or really three solutions, the solution, the solution SS, the solution SD, but also the Eva Shockey, uh, Gen 2. So we came out the, the Ivashaki several years ago, and uh, it's been our highest selling. And pretty much knowing a lot of the industry data, the highest selling ladies go out there. One, it's because Ivashaki helped design it. But we, in two, in 2021, we moved that to a deadlock style bow, which is, has been phenomenal for lady archers out there as well, because kind of like the SD, they didn't want to settle for a short man's bow. But I don't want to forsake two bows that we are really three bows, but the Zions we came, came out with two carbon bows that are based on our original carbon icon design, which has been our one of our most highest selling bows. And even today, before we launched the Zion, um, the, uh, the, the highest selling bows, just because of that carbon bow at the lower price point, when you go to competitors with that material, you're $1,500 and up. Um, and then also we came out with, I'm going to throw another one, there's the Amplify. So we talked about that mid price point and down, ultra versatile, ultra adjustable bow in the Amplify, which previously we came out with the Convergence, and this is the next generation of that. So we had a pretty extensive line come out for Bowtech uh, in general coming into this year, realistically three mo uh, four models on the flagship end, the Zions, and then the Amplify as well. Um, it's pretty pretty wide range for manufacturer. As a manufacturer, it's uh, it's a lot of work to bring those out as well. But those are really the the platforms consumers ask this for. 
Um, we are excited to move on to 2022. Um, 2021 roadmap was awesome. We've got a lot of cool things on the horizon. Um, I've already held some 2022 bows, went and shot some 2022 bows for some feedback. I am really excited with what uh, what we've done as a team and what the engineers have already started with um, in the first bows I've shot. If this early in a year and we're the the state the bows are in, if they're this good, it's going to be crazy good yeah. for 2022. That's awesome, man. Um, let me ask you one more question here. You brought it up, the Amplify. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is this is your lower price point bow, correct? Sure. Right. Yep. It's at that five ninety nine price point bare bow. Yep. Yep. All right. So, what's the difference? You know, this is for a guy who, mm-hmm. you know, he wants the solution, but maybe yep. it's just not in the budget. What is the difference between the amplify and the solution? Sure. You get you get a little I mean little right different riser design, so it's not that high end forge style design. Um, has a little more weight to it just because it's not a forge style aluminum riser. It's still an aluminum riser, machine riser. Um, because it's not that true center pivot uh, style design, you, you get a little more, it may be not as quiet. Um, it may not be as smooth and vibration free on the shot, but it's still designed to be super adjustable, uh, super versatile. So even if somebody's not necessarily able to draw a bow out of the gate that's hunting regulation poundage so let's say you're a 35 or 30 that bow will adjust and go all the way up to 70 pounds so as you practice um, as you get um, more proficient with it you're able to draw more poundage you can turn that up and not have to go buy a whole nother bow um, because somebody buying that bow at a, at a 599 price point may not necessarily be to your point want to be able to have the ability or, or want to sink another $1,200 into the bow next year. They want a bow that's going to last them a, a couple years, um, get them to what they want to do, get them out hunting. And then as I, as I was talking a little earlier, they start seeing the benefits, getting they're into their dealer, shooting the league, shooting with their friends. I'm like, Oh man, I tried that solution. That's pretty cool. That's a little quieter. Um, they get a little more extreme on their hunts. Um, they start seeing that little bit of benefit, to that, uh, to the more of the technology, the different materials, the direct benefit of those. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so it's just like uh, more of an entry level bow. Yeah. Yeah. It's that entry level to mid price point um, bow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, Todd, I first off, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and chit chat with us. Um, before we split, I'll give you um, the floor or anything else. Uh, that we need to know or talk about with Bowtech. And then finally, if um, if people want to go find out more mm-hmm. about the the uh, the products or the, the lines that you guys have, past, present, future bows, uh, where do you want to send them? Yeah, absolutely. You can check us out on bowtecharchery.com. You can see all the Bowtech products on there as well. I'm going to invite everybody to follow us on our social media. Um, we do a lot of cool things just like you're doing, Dan, with your podcast. We don't necessarily do podcasts, but we do some some live events. We do some giveaways sometimes, but we do some pretty neat stuff outside of just saying, hey, here's the Bowtech Bow. We do some cool educational content, learning about uh, 
hunting techniques, uh, food plots, things like that with a lot of our professional hunters. So we're big on education as well. So I invite everybody to get over to our social media sites as well. We're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, we're on Twitter, we got a little bit going on TikTok here and there as well. We're not fully into the into TikTok yet, <laughs> but I don't know a lot of us, uh, I think some people are here in the outdoor industry, but uh, you know, I invite everybody to get on there and check us out, follow us because there's always some cool things on there. Um, we're doing live interviews uh, like you guys do sometimes, you know, and and, and so, not necessarily podcast style, but we always interview and we invite people to come in and ask questions from our pro shooters. We have like uh, Tim Gillingham and Paige Pierce, two of our competitive pro shooters, and they absolutely love answering questions and uh, teaching people about target archery, and they're both avid hunters as well. Um, so get over and check it out. You know, it's, it's for us, it's not just about selling bows, it's getting people out in the field and having fun with archery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Todd, man, I appreciate your time. Oh, man, thanks for having us. It was a great time.